Hello everybody, welcome to MHTV tonight. Um, it's lovely to have you with us. And we've got Dave behind the scenes and we're sending love to Vanessa, who's done all very well this week. And tonight we've got some fantastic guests and we're going to be talking about kind of complexities that surround teaching and supporting students to have conversations about domestic abuse. So there'll be stuff in here that's specific to that, if that's something that is um, something that causes distress to you, just be aware of that now. It doesn't mean you can't obviously listen and join in, but just be aware that that's, that's a choice for you to make. And um, the other thing is that because we're talking about how to talk about challenging or difficult subjects, there might be things here that you can apply to other parts of your practice as well, which would be really useful. Um, obviously, we want to we want to hear from you. We want questions from you if you've got the time to, to get involved with us. So if you're on Twitter, you can put under the hashtag MHTV and put your question there and we'll feed it in. Or you can comment on the live stream on Facebook. Either way, we'd really like to hear from you. And tonight, without further ado, let me introduce our guests. So we've got Emma. Emma, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Hi, everyone. My name's Emma Moore, and I am a senior teaching fellow in children's nursing at Southampton University. And Fantastic. I'm working collaboratively with my colleague, Simon. Over to you, Simon. Cheers. I'm Simon. I'm a mental health and family nurse. Um, I'm a senior teaching fellow at Southampton too. Fantastic. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your project so that we can get our heads around what it is that you're actually doing. There we well, go. Simon. Okay, so and most um, higher education universities had a bit of money to create a simulated placement. And um, we were thinking, right, how, what are the important bits that we need to try and... Um, do and deliver and all those kind of things and we were brainstorming in a little room as always a great big blank piece of paper and then um emma popped up the thing about actually it's really important that we look at um this notion of abuse and it's in the ePAD, uh, one of the um proficient um skills that's required for all students to really understand but this is all abuse which is an interesting discussion for probably later on and and then the whole conversation come from that. And it was like, how are we going to make this really central for our student learning for the simulated placement? Yeah. And it kind of grew from there. So we decided that actually we could take it from just a, a basic sort of managing difficult conversations to actually equipping our students to really be active, empowering healthcare professionals, working collaboratively, supporting families and not shying away from those conversations about, particularly about whether they're subjected to domestic abuse, because I think there's a general feeling amongst healthcare professionals that if I don't ask, I don't have to do anything about it because they're not going to tell me. And I think, you know, we need to change that entire culture and really get people confident to have those conversations so that they, but, confident to have the conversation so that they know exactly how to handle those conversations in a caring, compassionate, nurturing way that empowers that family to work together towards finding some kind of solution that's going to work for them. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Because in, in mental health particularly, but in all aspects of health and social care, we deal with personal issues all the time. Yeah. You know, we talk about suicide and self-harm, we talk about people's bowels, we talk about all kinds of things, but this is still something where there's some uncertainty. And I think some worry that somehow will make something worse or that it's private and not our business and not part of someone's well-being, which is obviously not the case. So can you tell us a little bit about exactly what you've done and how you've gone about doing it? I have to confess first, Emma, 
and everyone. Actually, I'm on, I'm a very novice in this journey, right? Um, I'm no expert on domestic abuse. In fact, one of the first things I thought originally was, was um, I think my term was domestic violence. And it was told me very early on, actually that's an outdated phrase, it's now domestic abuse. And so, that, so from that journey, really um, the last few months, um, I'm, it's been a real fascinating thing. So I just want to make that clear. And that's part of the things from what we're probably discussing of how, um, you know, this is the very start of a new journey, but actually it's, it's an important one. And so I want to reflect on someone who's been a mental health nurse for over 20 years and thinking about your own practice and your own personal life. So it is an interesting one, but I'm lucky I got a great colleague, Emma, who's a great champion of this and made it really easy conversations to have a call. And then having it, I made a few boo-boos, said a few wrong things, but actually it was pointed out to me that this is how we move forward on that bit. I think that's really important. You're making a really good point there, this idea that it doesn't matter how expert you are or how new you are at something. On this journey, you will constantly learn new things. Sometimes you have to unlearn stuff that you learned already and set off in a new direction, and that's okay. But I think you're right. Sometimes it can be really hard to actually say, actually, I don't know much about this, particularly if it's kind of bound up in your idea of how good you are at your job. But like we work in a job that constantly changes. So there's no way you can be across everything all the time. And it's about how you ask those questions and how you find the confidence to, to, to check in with people. And also, I think you're absolutely right, how you have the grace to make a mistake sometimes. You know, all of us will say, wrong terminology about something and it's about apologizing and having the intent and the will to do better isn't it and to to support people it is and i think part of that as our part of our role as academics is to role model that for the students that although we're academics and we're teaching you things we're constantly on a learning journey as well so come along with us on our learning journey you know let's learn together so that we can all be better to make hopefully make society better in the long oh well, that's very that's very ambitious isn't it it was ambitious and how did you go about <laughs> it I, I will have my answer <laughs> absolutely yeah I think because there's been a lot of changes recently there's been the domestic abuse um, legislative changes as well so you know things are a little bit more firmed up in law now mm. so I think there's an increasing awareness across society really that it exists mm. There's been all the worry about the fact that during COVID there have been an increase in reporting of domestic abuse. So I think, you know, it is it is really important to remember that it occurs and it actually accounts. I mean, the government have said that they think it's approximately. Well, it's about it's over 10 percent of all violent crimes reported to the police, and that's only those that are reported. Yeah. And it, it makes you wonder how much more is unreported that is going on. And therefore it is highly prevalent. And it's, you know, it is a, a really big consideration in the death of people, mm. you know, men and women. It, and I think there is that tendency as well to always think only of women when you're thinking about mm. domestic abuse. But actually the figures show that it's approximately two thirds women and one third men. So um, I think it's important to recognise that it can be in any kind of domestic relationship. 
Definitely. I think people overlook um, all kinds of situations where it's like same sex couples and also the kind of spill out it has onto the family and friends in general, because it, it we talk about it being hidden, but it's hidden in plain sight. It is it's yeah. very different from yeah. nobody having any idea. Absolutely. And as a children's nurse to to mm. now have the backing of the law that says, you know, being exposed to domestic abuse is in, in, in fact, abuse of that child. Yeah. So that's really important. Yeah. And a lot of children who are subject to a child protection plan come from a home where that is, you know, where people in the in the home are subjected to domestic abuse. So, mm. you know, we really have to think about it for every field of nursing. And I'm really glad that that it, it's mentioned in the NMC standards, even though it's yeah. yeah, but I think as soon as you've got it firmly in there, then you've got a mandate to to do the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the project that you set up. Well, we set up, um, we were asked to do simulated placement, and it was particularly for students who required child or mental health experience. So mm-hmm. being that Simon's such a fabulous colleague, I, I said to him, can we put our heads together and see if we can actually come up with something that's applicable to all of the students that is really, really important? Yeah. We started with, you know, communication skills, having difficult conversations, and then we started thinking, okay, what else? How can we make it more focused on the families? So we've developed a number of different scenarios, situations. So, Simon, do you want to talk about the... Um, actual simulation that we've been doing this week yeah so it's been one of those things so um well first of all that emma made it really clear where we are in southampton domestic abuse is a real national we were a hot spot nationally yeah that was really important because we know our nurses will have a big interface with this and um one of the things that once you start knowing you you know the people know me will I'll try and do some broader reading, look at some of the mm. research, mm. and then work out how to make that research live. Mm. Um, and then we looked at that, and then it's right, okay, we, it's really important for our nurses because it's historically something like this is just delivered by a, like a, just a PowerPoint, and it was really easy just to make this like a, a subsection. So we come about this, and we think, and then we thought about this is only one part of an episode of care. So and that's the one thing that we did. We, we followed a young a family across a whole episode of care for them when they first arrive in A and E to to you know three to four weeks, you know, of a family working through something. And one of these and one of the things that was raised in this family that things were made, you know, the family was uh, there's a bit of things going on for this family, and it's really important whether there was or wasn't that the, the nurses in question have the need to ask because every um, What's it called? Every contact counts is a real key yeah. phrase. Yeah. And yeah. the idea was actually we have to recognise that, making sure that looking, exploring whether this family was safe was a really key bit. Mm-hmm. And so we said, right, let's expand it. But then we recognised that this was quite a, a complex and sensitive subject and how to deliver this in a sensitive way and give our student nurses confidence. Because that was the one thing that came from the reading and, you know, Nikki, you've been a real big ambassador and you've written a really important um, Fabulous paper. paper. <laughs> and the only that, few people who've ever read it, everybody in this room. <laughs> oh, some of the other small things says actually confidence is a really key thing. Mm. So 
so the, so how kind of recommended that how are we going to do this because you know I, I recognize that I'm not an expert mm. I you know Emma said okay and then we worked out and networked actually there are some really important people who are experts and can deliver it in a safe way and we found two amazing resources that we can build and lead the way on that and 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 create a really secure safe compassionate discussion around this um so emma um, will discuss what found this most amazing theater group and then i made contact with safe lives which is a local regional domestic abuse charity and then we just made contact and then um possibly then we had a long chat with them. And the most important thing I had with the chat with this organization was making a bespoke training package for our for our nurses. Yeah. And being able to see how those two different organizations can dovetail their packages to give our our students a fabulous package that then mm. fits really well with everything else that we're giving them during the simulation mm. to enable them to develop from the, oh, mm. I'm too scared to ask them any of the questions to actually, I can ask these questions. I know I can be kind and caring and compassionate. I'm courageous enough to be able to do it. And I know what to do when I, with the response. And that's oh, actually role-playing. Absolutely, mm. yeah. So practicing so with each other initially, mm. but then actually role-playing with actors mm. so it's someone they've never met which replicates mm. quite well the that sudden you know we've mm. got to develop a therapeutic relationship with this person who we've not met before yeah. we've got to establish that relationship really quickly and that can often be the hardest things like well I'd only ask that of somebody I really knew very well but I mm. can't because I'm mm. a healthcare practitioner mm. so and it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you actually have, even if you ask questions in a classroom, you'll say, how would you ask this question? Oh, I would ask this, I would ask that. But until you actually sit down and feel the words coming out of your mouth, Absolutely. you don't know whether it's going to be a struggle for you because it's theoretical. It's all theoretical. I would, I would, I would, I would respond this way. I wouldn't be upset or I wouldn't feel uncomfortable. When you actually do it, and I know some people passionately hate role play, <laughs> but it's it's a really important sort of safe safer yeah. place to to yeah. make and mistakes. I have to admit we're trying not to call it role play mm. we're what actually saying it? well we call it practice yeah you're practicing for doing mm. it in a real situation yeah um and they get the opportunity to practice and learn if they make an error mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but I, I I do think it's really important that the combination of the packages that we're doing mm. engages their hearts gets yeah. to feel and I think if you can get the hearts engaged and get them to feel the emotions of it then you've got mm-hmm. them because the head will follow mm-hmm. would you agree with that Simon yeah I mean anything I'd like to add and, and reassure is that um I work I go through all the assimilated practice myself mm-hmm. so I get to experience it mm-hmm. um and know exactly what's going on know the feelings mm-hmm. And, and I know that, but, and what's also really good is there have been times where I, I pair myself up um, with, a, with a nurse, student nurse, and said, right, right, how are we going to go and approach this question? And, and it happened the other day, and she goes, oh, my goodness, um, what happens if they, if, we, if they say yes? I go, well, we, I don't know. We, you know, we've come to that one meal, but we've got to ask a question. Then, then, the, then it's like working through, when we're going to say it. I said, well, 
why don't we just find out how they are and, and, and do some exploratory questions about their home life first? I mean, one of the good things that Nikki's article identified us was the HARP model of identifying um, domestic abuse. And there's some really good tips and questions that you can use from that bit. But I said, let's just go global and see where we go. But we have to ask it. When we leave this room, we have to be 100% sure that when they leave this, de this department or room, that they're going to be okay and be safe. That's part of a mental health nurse's risk assessment. Yeah. You know, okay. And do you know what? Went in it and smashed it. She really well, that's so important, isn't it? That that fear shouldn't be the reason you don't do something. Yeah. And also, you know, it's it's perfectly normal to say, I don't know how to do this. The problem comes is when you then never bother finding out because you've got Pathfinder model out there. You've got all, and I'm sure Dave's tweeting this stuff away as we go. <laughs> We've got all these different um, models that other people have worked out, working with sort of people who've had this experience and all you have to do is, is read it and practice yeah. you don't have to invent anything you just have to be the person you were when you walk through the door someone who's kind and cares about other people and wants them to be okay you don't need any other skills it's really it's a really interesting that we're, we're still not on top of this when really all nurses know how to ask personal questions all yeah. nurses should know how to respond to safeguarding issues but we're still just fumbling the ball a little bit on this yeah mm. And one of the things that our tactics was, I mean, Emma's connection with the theatre group was, a, I can't tell you how that was a really good opening. Mm. You know, um, we all, you know, it was a fantastic performance. You know, it, it is powerful hitting, but it sets the scene so well. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't know what Emma thought, but I thought it was, it was delivered in a really compassionate way, very thought provoking. And then we followed up with Safe Lives. Um, and it was, it, I think one of those things, uh, as I'm, you know, it's really important that it, we have to recognise is emotive stuff. Yeah. But that's the thing that it's changed. And my, but I thought the theatre group was a really good opening gambit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the certain curtain theatre do, do a number of different, dramas based on domestic abuse. So the particular one that we've used is called Mockingbird High, and that's about the impact on the children, mm. which obviously seems like the logical choice for, yeah. for our simulated placement. Mm. But, you know, and they do provide training for lots and lots of different people, and they've been mm. working in the field for a very long time, you know. Um, so it's it's been a delight to be able to work with them and bring their expertise and their wonderful language that they use mm. to the students. Mm. So um, it, it's really great. And then the Safe Lives, the time with the Safe Lives people was really, really helpful for the students because they got to practice how they would actually phrase the questions and make sure that they continued. Because I think most of us are quite happy to say, so how are you? And there's been that huge campaign, hasn't there, about, no, no, don't just ask it once, ask it more than once. Or as Simon says, ask the question three times and you hopefully you'll get the answer you're looking for. Isn't that your current phrase this week, Simon? Oh, here comes my cat, I do apologise. Yeah. What's yeah. the cat called, by the way? <laughs> We've got another guest on, we should know the name. Yeah, it's Max. <laughs> <I know. laughs> One thing, 
is about this thing, although is what I'm is one of the things that we have to recognise is that there's a lot of lived experience already in our classrooms. Mm, absolutely. And, and one of the mm. things doing a whole week around yeah. this real was growing, watching people's confidence around it from their own personal experience, from those who didn't know anything. And that kind of andrological sense of learning, you know, that notion, that lived experience. There's a lot of expertise that sometimes we don't appreciate that's already in this classroom. I heard some very um, courageous accounts of their own personal accounts of, 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 you know, domestic abuse within their kind of sphere of influence. That's what I'm going to describe it as, really. Um, and that made it real hard and home. And also then, I guess, my lasting, one of the lasting legacies of this is also thinking about my colleagues. I just thought, as a nurse, you know, when you looked at the statistics about nursing predominantly being a female workforce and we're a really large working workforce and actually you know I'm thinking there's so many people who might be having a bad day but I have no idea why yeah. being thoughtful and kind to each other mm. yeah definitely definitely yeah there was there is documentation out there about the prevalence for um midwives and nurses and it is unfortunately high and I think just because you're on one side of asking the questions doesn't mean that the rest of life isn't happening to you in other spheres important to remember that it is yeah and and that's why you know I pinched the phrase from Claire at certain kind of theatre mm. you know we are always in the room mm. because that that is true mm. sorry because you can't stay there <laughs> mm. so do you, do you did you have anybody who was like what's this got to do with health Anyone who wasn't maybe easy to persuade or? Um, no, no. I think we said to the students, if you think about, do you mean the students or do you mean other people? Anybody, yeah. The students, we just said to them, we've deliberately not told you very much about the plan mm. because we want you just to come to it with an open heart, open mind and trust us mm. and trust the process. Mm. And... I don't know whether Simon's happy to admit, but I, I know that we were both really touched at the end of the, the mm. first round of the simulated placement, just to hear how much the students had, had gained from it. And it was just everything we could have wished for, really, wasn't it, Simon? Which makes the hard work worth it. Good. I mean, the one thing is, isn't it? I think what I'm learning more is... Mm. Young people have an interface a lot larger than we ever give them credit for. They do. And they absorb an awful lot of, of some of the issues that the world offers. I think, I, 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 I think actually some of the stuff we see is quite hard. As a male, I found some of it really hard hitting. Mm. Uh, maybe it's because it's, it, um, I don't know, it was guilt through gender associate. I, yeah. However, it's really important that we actually take some ownership of this mm. and it is everyone's thing it's not that bit and, and I think that was a really good thing for all of us to try and fight for some equality and equity and all those things I mean there's some interesting things we may need to think about and develop around cultural sensitivity around yeah. about how domestic abuse is viewed globally 
because we do mm. live in a global village right now. Yeah. And, and there are different cultural perceptions of what domestic abuse is. And we, we and I, we're working through that. Yeah. I think we've got to talk about that. The World um, Health Organization has written lots and lots that's really quite useful on that. Yeah. In terms of um, sort of cultural difference or um, subgroups in society, um, the Pathfinder document, yeah. which I'm sure Dave's tweeting out as we speak, has a lot of stuff in the appendices which would be helpful. Mm. I mean, from that, there's some really amazing, inspir inspirational stories. So mm. I know that we use like a, like a case study around cat um, and the Somalian population, mm. and that actually one of the really amazing things around about why um, cat got um, criminalised was the impact it had on domestic abuse. Yeah, you know, there's some real rich things we can grasp and and, mm. and really enhance our teaching. It's so important because exactly as you were saying, there are things which make this worse. So we noticed in lockdown, huge spikes, huge spikes in, in children being exposed, but also because people were in confined spaces together and in stressful, distressing circumstances, we saw a spike again in numbers of abuse. There's also new stuff correlating hot weather, uh, crisis events, and even things I think Simon and I were talking about before football. So if you're working in an A&E department and, you know, the football's on, keep your eyes open. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, there's times and places that you know that this situation is likely to spike. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when it gets easy. Is like one of the things that harder to think as a nurse educator is um, sometimes I feel like we're trying to teach people to be Doctor Who, like time laws, because everyone... Even I haven't got enough time, we're so busy and all that. I said, well, well, you manage your time. That's the key of being a really good nurse. Yeah. And I, I said, that, how you have your questions, is that as you were saying, yes. it's a conversation, isn't it? You know, if you're going through a checklist, that's going to take you forever. But if yeah. you're having an open-hearted conversation with someone, they'll direct you to the place that you need to get to. Yeah. That's That will happen. Absolutely. And, yeah, because, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things that, I've kind of stolen a lot is that every time we have a conversation with someone, you've got to see it as a therapeutic dose. As a nurse, we're all really good at giving pills, but consider a conversation like this as a potential therapeutic dose of good nursing care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if you have that mindset, then actually we'll, you know, I think we can do a lot of good. Yeah. Mm. I've got a couple of questions coming through if you're ready. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I'm paraphrasing these because they're, they're long. And no criticism to you if you've written a question. Thank you for being thorough. Um, the first one is about um, how do you get started on this conversation? It sounds like it's a nightmare, <laughs> if you're honestly. Um, I think doesn't they mean you're teaching. I think they mean like when you have to go and sit with somebody and you're worried. How do you get started? How do you get the ball rolling? And there's another one very similar saying, how do you ask the questions you need to ask? Yeah. What do you well, say? I think... One of the things that we've encouraged the students to do is say, so um, are, you, are, you, are you safe at home? Mm -hmm. Or is there anything that worries you about having to be, being able to go home? Mm -hmm. we, we start, we've started off thinking about these conversations when that person comes in contact with a healthcare professional in a healthcare environment rather than in a home visit. That was one of the, one of the key things, wasn't it, Simon? And then I have that exploratory thing, then there is the heart model that encourages you to ask more specific questions. Because the yeah. one thing is, as soon as someone is engaged with this conversation and they're, they're in your 
and you suspect this is really low, it's really important to ask some important questions. Yeah. The one thing is if you do go and um, um, it becomes a safeguarding issue, the safeguarding officer or person in charge is going to ask you, right, we need a lot of, we need some detail. You can't really go back to the person so just forget. So with that bit, you need to use some good open questions to say, look, um, can you explain, you know, can you can you describe some of the things that you may be experiencing? And then ask, and then hopefully they can describe some of the more details. It's important about frequency, actually what the abuse is, the impact on them and who are other people. It's important to go, does anyone else know or understand what's going on for you? And it's, yeah. and the most important thing I can only, one of the biggest things I'm trying to over the whole thing is importance of validation. Yeah. That you're there, you're kind, you can think you're not alone. And once you yeah. get that, and then all of a sudden you, you're in a situation, yeah. give someone some support. And we, often, we, often, we also say that um, where we've got, we've got someone there and, and you know, sometimes students when they're practicing sometimes will say, well, I, I do ask the question, are you, uh, is there any domestic abuse in your, your home? So we say, well, yeah, but nobody's going to say yes to that. Well, very rarely would you get someone just outright saying yes. So you have to phrase it differently. So it's about the subtleties of the, the language that you use. So you know, if you think that somebody is being controlled by their partner, for example, you know, you could say, well, you know, do you find that you're having to alter your behavior because you're concerned about the reaction that your behavior would initiate? Um, do you are you, do you have opportunities to spend time with friends outside the home? Because social isolation, again, is another key factor. Mm. The part of the controlling partner would try and isolate you from your friends, your family, so they can, because it is all about control at the end of the day. Mm. So just starting to talk about some simple things like that. And, and if you talk to somebody who is fairly close to the beginning of their journey of understanding, then saying about, you know, do you sometimes feel like you've got to walk on eggshells around your partner or anything like that? And actually, I think most people in society would at some point have experienced somebody who said that to them, you know, oh, I feel a little bit uncomfortable when this happens at home. So it just shows that the more we're aware of it, the less tolerant we'll be of it. And we have to have a high level of understanding of what the impact of that is on the person, because sometimes the impact is not not visible. It's it can be all internalized, and the only time it's visible is when we're dead. I've got another couple of questions. So, someone saying, are you saying heart or harp? Harp. Yeah. So, um, can you? Uh, can you tell me what that means? I'm trying to look it up. It's got the next bit. So again, the wonders of uh, Zoom, everybody. Heart. Spell it out, Simon. <laughs> well, I just... Could I you put the link to your article on... No, yeah, I don't know if anyone can read it, actually, if it's a closed article or not. Well, it's for mental health nursing, isn't it? So if they're... Oh, they're, yeah, if you're in that... You the university, they should be able to get it from there. Yeah. So it's what people are saying is hark. 
H-A-R-K. Yeah, and it's a way of thinking about um, if someone's been um, hurting you emotionally or humiliating you, because I think it's only still quite recently people have thought about the kind of emotional harm that can come. Because sometimes, you know, it's not about being physically hurt. Mm. It's about the fear of being physically hurt actually stops you even doing things. And that's really important. You know, if you're just going to assess what's actually happened, you're not necessarily getting a full understanding of what's going on for that person because you can be afraid without ever having been physically hit. There are lots of ways that somebody can undermine you or make you feel scared or make you feel that you're stupid or that you're, um, you you can't tell what's real and what isn't. And I think we're getting a little bit better at talking about that and thinking about how damaging that can be. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a real real simple anagram, basically. Humiliation, afraid, rape and kick. And it's adapted from the model. Um, I think it's um, so how 2007, but it's all in that kind of stuff. And the main thing is when you're doing this, it's just um, just it's these templates and things, just something to work through. And, and it just provides structure for when you're doing this. Um, and um, that's the key thing, really. Um, yeah. So, so you wouldn't question. use it by going down the list and asking people, yeah. but what yeah. you use it is a. <laughs> But don't anyone think that that's what we're saying? We're no, saying, we're not saying that. No, we're saying is if you look at things like Pathfinder, if you look at things like the Hark model, you can see the sorts of areas that it will be helpful for you to understand for somebody else's life. Yeah. So, um, and I think as well, one of the things that's so important about physically practicing is that you don't sound like a textbook when you're talking to a real person. You know, you know, you wouldn't say. Um, in the last year, have you been afraid of your partner or ex-partner, which is what Hark says? You'd say, how yeah. are things at home? Do you get yeah. worried or scared at home? Do you yeah. feel frightened? Yeah. You know, you'd have this it's just normal questions. So no one's asking, you know, students to be pulling out, or practitioners to be pulling out some kind of odd, learned, almost like a spell you'd be casting. What we're actually asking is for people to have conversations about keeping each other safe. Yeah. And actively listening to what mm. they say and picking up any cues. Mm. I've got a brilliant question come through. Not that they're not all brilliant, but well, someone's saying, um, it sounds like it's really emotional in the classroom. How do you manage it? Um, it yes. But the key is, is the practice. Because mm. the one thing is nurses want to know how they do something about it. Mm. Yeah. And that's the bit, that's the empowerment. That's mm. that's the bit where you get it, make it real. Mm. How do you empower someone and give them a, something, a new set of skills? let them practice it and let them go for it that's that emotion then is a really amazing motivating factor but the one thing is is our guest sessions you've got to keep any skill you've got to keep practicing don't yeah. make it in isolation mm. not just like i'm turned up to one event and that's it so our challenge is, um, is right every time it's like washing hands you've got it every time you have a clinical skill you have to wash your hands until you be a master of it so we got, I mean, this is our challenge. Me and Emma got right, we've got to keep this going. Yeah. Even these are currently second years. So in the third years, they've got to keep still asking this question in, in any clinical situation that we can kind of um simulate. Yeah. And I think the, the emotion, yes, it's emotional. However, we've built up a, a, a circle of trust within the classroom. Yeah. You know, the student we have given students permission to talk about their feelings 
we're there to support them. They know that they can approach us if they need to. And we also have a, a fabulous wellbeing team mm. as well that they can go to if they don't want to talk to us. Mm. But we also use, we always have something humorous at the end to try and bring people back and ground them in yeah. their own lives so that, and then they can reflect on the learning that they've done, but we make sure that we do something humorous. And Simon and I are, um, I think we're quite well known for acting a little bit silly in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of pulled on something you guys have both been saying about, about the, this is an emotional subject. And, and practicing is not just about practicing skills, it's about practicing feelings as well. Yes. Because no practitioner has no feelings, mm-hmm. you know, and the last thing you want is to, to be in a situation where you're sobbing so hard you can't help somebody. Yes. <laughs> like that's not that's not helpful. So it's this idea about understanding that, you know, we do carry a lot of pain and grief and physical pain and, and, and you're around people who are experiencing loss and confusion a lot in this business. Yeah. And that's that's not a problem if you understand that that's what's happening, you understand the impact that emotional labor can have on you. Yeah. And I think what it kind of goes back to one of the things that Emma was saying was that people avoid this kind of conversation because it's challenging, but because it's painful and it's yeah. exposing and it's much better to have this practice in a classroom and actually work through it and realize how you feel about things and what your personal opinions are and how you can help and how you can manage strong emotions than just, sit tight and expect to be bored in classrooms which is a bit depressing but we won't even go into that in case you're in my classroom (laughs) but you know you should be um, inspired you should be intrigued you should be confused sometimes in a classroom in a learning situation because we all are and that's what makes it interesting isn't it yeah learning how to learn and you're also learning how to process really strong emotions and important feelings absolutely and I think everything that we do does have an emotional impact on us. Mm. And the more we can build up our resilience so that we can deal with those feelings in a really healthy way, the more equipped we will be to be able to facilitate that in other people. Yeah. I'd go a bit further than that. I think clinical, we won't go into clinical supervision and the importance of restoratives. That's really key. But one of the things that I'm, I'm gonna accept, I'm a novice, but I need to be a role model. I have feelings watching that. I have to recognise that. But I am actually a role model. Emma's a role model. We all are. And I think that's the thing that we have to remember and all that kind of stuff. That is right. How do I do? And as long as you recognise that, and I don't feel, and the students will will recognise that too. Is that this notion of authenticity? Absolutely, yeah. And and when I think about my clinical thing, I know I used to run a a significant team. We had a number of Marek's mapper meetings and that's what we had. We shared it as a group of clinicians. Yeah. And we should share this in a, you know, a role model of that things within clinical supervision, um, group learning, group understanding and group moving forward. That's really important. I don't, know if, I don't know if you guys are doing this on purpose, but it kind of loops back to something you said earlier. Yeah. <laughs> this idea about how you sort of role model uncertainty, how you role model learning yeah. mistakes and moving forward and things like that. Because I remember when I first was a baby nurse and all I could see were people above me who just seemed to know what they were doing like yes. all <laughs> the time and I was I was like oh, quite a while and oh, I was always like that yeah I was in real awe of them like they always seemed to know the thing to say when I was like 
situation yeah. they just seemed to understand what was next and they were really good practitioners but mm -hmm. they weren't fantastic at explaining what they were doing and why yeah. and it felt like I was never going to be able to bridge that gap between me sort of staggering around as a novice and then being sort of expert practitioners so I think you know that's another really positive plus point yeah. if you start to talk about why you're doing things when you're a practitioner that can really help the person who's like a couple of steps behind you just yeah. and not be carbon copy of you but figure out what will work for them that's really useful as well yeah and that's kind of what I say quite a lot to the students that when you're working with lots of different practitioners and that's the joy of being a student, isn't it? You go to lots mm, of different mm, placements and mm. you work with lots of practitioners. Mm. Pick the really good things that all of those practitioners say, how they phrase mm. things. And it's the only time we let you plagiarise so you can pinch what they say and incorporate it into your toolkit of how you deal with those kinds of conversations so you can become the fabulousness that we know you're going to become. Definitely, definitely. I, I can see we're, we're hitting towards 40 minutes now, so or quickly so I want to come both to you and see if there's anything that you can particularly recommend in terms of resources or is there anything that you want to leave the audience with um you definitely pathfinder really really important obviously Nikki your article but actually there are some really good things about confidence there's some some good reading for the you know our client group around people mental health and their exposure to domestic abuse um um but there are like I say really amazing specialist organization like Safe Lives, Main Theatre Group. Biggest tip is just be curious. Constantly curious. And, and oh, you know, I've only got one nine more. Think of the family, right? It's not just, we, we nurse families, not individuals. And that's the one thing that you have to have a mindset of. And that's really important. And that includes maybe the pets, animals, because actually, you know, it is a family system. Yeah. So we do need to think about that. Yeah. I think one of the, the really joyous thing that's come out of this whole simulated practice experience has been watching the students from different fields of practice learn from each other and appreciate the knowledge that the others have got in their own field and work out how they can incorporate that into some of their conversations. And that's been really quite nice to see, hasn't it, Simon? Oh, oh absolutely. Best job in the world. It is the best job in the world. <laughs> it is. Oh, I don't think you're going to come up to a better place to end than that, for sure. <laughs> um, just to thank Dave for all the stuff yeah. that he's tweeted out. Um, if you guys have come across anything that has been troubling, there's... there's um, contact numbers for you if you need them uh, but also there's lots of resources there that you guys can have a look at and work through and if you know of any that are missed off please just hashtag them in it's never never a problem it's great when we build up the knowledge like that so thank you very much to my guests emma and simon um and very we're welcome. almost sort of the next one we've got next week is almost a building on this and it's the panoptican effect and we've got dr Tyrion harvard uh, with us uh, talking about the impact of technology on coercive control which is another thing that you guys need to be thinking about in terms of assessment because it's such a new area people don't ask about it yeah. and it's a, it's a really interesting area of particularly around uh, mental distress when people already can feel quite uncertain about what's real and what isn't so it's a really interesting thing for you to to have your head around and thank you very much for for watching on such a hot evening when you could be out in the garden <laughs> and then if you are in the garden and watching us later on 
also fine. Have a great evening and we'll speak to you soon again. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you.